Christmas. I've been waiting for you. You know, Christmas is always my favorite time of year. And I'm glad you're here in my living room to enjoy it. <laughs> Mrs. Claus must have made the cocoa this year. <laughs> now, the wrestling life. Hey everybody, it's the Wrestling Life, it's episode 255, it is December 24th, it's Christmas Eve of 2020, Santa's coming, I'm Ethan. It's Christmas Eve, I've only wrapped two frickin' presents, it's Liam, I'm here too. This is definitely being recorded on Christmas Eve, I can hear the sleigh bells. That's right, that's right. I uh, think I think Santa might be on his way yeah i mean i'm watching it's a wonderful life on tv and that i could only be doing that on christmas eve because that's when it airs that's right you ever watch any of these hallmark christmas movies because there's about 84 of them on my dvr uh i'm aware of them because uh actresses certain actresses that were on shows i liked uh are in them all the time now because mm. that's what you do when you're on when you play lois lane on smallville and you're an angel and but after that you don't really get jobs anymore, so you show up in like Hallmark Christmas movies, and it's a little depressing. But like, I keep an eye on them, but I don't watch a lot of them. If that makes sense. Okay, same. Uh, yes, but that's not why we're here. We're here to spread holiday joy and merriment and all manner of these things by digging into a topic that uh, came to me one night while I was walking the dog. You know. Sometime about three months ago, Liam, uh, my dog went from demanding like a 45-minute walk at the end of the day mm -hmm. to demanding like a 90-minute walk at the end of the day. <laughs> so I had a lot of free time on my hands and a lot of time where I'm walking around outside with uh, not a whole lot going on. And this idea came to me, just thinking about some of the uh, the more interesting characters in wrestling, and one of them, obviously, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I've heard and, of him, yes. And how in like a 40-year history as the leading promoter in North America, he has had to take some gambles at times, and he had certain advantages. Being in the New York market and having a an established territory to start with and blah 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 but he did have to take gambles at certain points whether it be going with a new top guy deciding not to go with a new top guy mm -hmm. deciding to take his company national uh deciding to let older talent go he's ha he's had to make some gambles over the years and i thought why don't we just in a free-flowing conversation just discuss some of Vince McMahon's biggest gambles. And we came up with a list big enough that this is going to be split into two shows. That's right. Yeah, there's quite a bit to talk about. You know, it's just interesting. Years ago, we did a show where we cast, we did stunt casting for the Vince McMahon uh, biopic. Yes. Um, and we were talking about how do you fit 
Vince McMahon's life into one movie. And much in the same vein here, I think we realized once we realized what the show was going to be, what we were talking about, that there was too many big moments or big gambles that Vince took over his, you know, now, now nearly 40 year career in wrestling that we couldn't really, we couldn't really just do that in one show if we were going to stick to our, our usual time frame of, of, uh, you know, around an hour or so. So that show where we stunt casted the, the Vince McMahon movie, uh, you put time and effort into that and it was one of our most listened to shows ever. And I totally mailed it in. <laughs> And uh, regret it now, because if someone listening to that show for the first time thought, wow, that Liam really knows what he's talking about. He's braver than any troop I know. <laughs> and if they, if they heard my performance on that show, they'd be like, wow, what a schmuck. There's no way he's ever going to work for a wrestling website. <laughs> That's right. It'll, what, whether their opinions of you and you. Your ability to work for any any and all wrestling websites will be contingent on how how much effort you went into casting a Vince McMahon movie that never got made. Yeah, I think I think that's reasonable, and I think that's what happened. All right, so uh, obviously choosing to go national was the first big Vince McMahon gamble, and he went around to every territory supposedly. And offered to buy out some guys. And I don't know if anybody really took him seriously or really understood cable television at the time and understood that someone was going to go national. I think everyone just wanted to keep operating in their little territory system and their gentleman's agreement of you don't encroach on anyone else's territories and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But so Vince withdraws from the NWA. He goes national, and he has to choose a centerpiece uh, of his promotion going national. And as legend has it, there's really only three choices. Three guys who were big enough stars at the time that could have been the focal point of basically you're starting a brand new national promotion from scratch. The three guys you could pick from are Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Snuka, or Kerry Von Erich. And Kerry Von Erich's dad owned the territory in Dallas, so I think the chances of getting Kerry Von Erich were pretty slim. Yeah, and I mean, Kerry being Kerry Von Erich probably would have hurt his chances in the long run anyway. In the long run, yes. And Jimmy Snuka being Jimmy Snuka, I think, hurt Jimmy <laughs> Snuka in the long run. Yeah, I mean, not as much as it should have hurt Jimmy Snuka, but yeah, it's... <laughs> He maybe would have uh, been. He had certain liabilities that uh, Terry, young, young, fresh-faced, already balding Terry Bollea did not have. Yeah, Hulk was already uh, 31? <laughs> thirty-one, thirty. He was thirty. Yeah, he was already thirty at that point. Um, so Vince chose Hogan as the centerpiece of going national, and I think. It's safe to say that gamble paid off. Yeah, I think it worked out all right. But <laughs> well, to your point, it was like, and it's from there. It's you get you get Hogan, you get him away from the AWA, you you bring him in, you have the Sheik beat Bob Backlund, your your long established top guy, um, and then you have Hogan beat the Sheik a month later, and 
then you create a machine that is basically, all right, now we feed this monster baby face for years <laughs> and years and years. And it worked out very effectively. Obviously, it was a very different business than it was now. Hulk Hogan wasn't on national television every single week for multiple segments every week. You were still building, you know, house shows and, and tours and things as well. But yeah, for sure. I mean, it's they they pick he picked the right guy and he had the right formula of what to do once you had the right guy at the top, which is just build up monsters for your build up dragons for your dragon slayer to fight. Yeah. So I think it's safe to say that that one was one of Vince McMahon's big gambles that paid off. Yeah, we'll give we'll give him a thumbs up on that one. Sure. A WrestleMania one. The idea of promoting this mega event and putting so much money into the promotion of it that it became a my business is either going to succeed or fail based on this proposition. And the idea of using celebrities not only to put eyeballs on the product, like having, you know, Dick Clark or whoever come in to shoot an angle or Cindy Lauper or Billy Martin or Muhammad Ali or whatever, but even going so far as to bring in Mr. T and having him wrestle on the show. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different elements that make WrestleMania 1 a big gamble. Having him in the ring with the most insane person to ever be in professional wrestling, arguably Roddy Piper. <laughs> yes. A lot of ways that could have gone wrong. Yeah, and ultimately, obviously, it paid off. Now, I'm not sure if Vince learned anything from this because his use of, well, see, twice his, twice, he saved his company building around a tough guy celebrity. One was Mike Tyson, one was Mr. T. And it's just like... Mm -hmm. I don't know if he learned the right lesson from either of these, but obviously WrestleMania won a success, so a big gamble that paid off. Absolutely. All right. Uh, number three that I see at least as a big Vince McMahon gamble, and we're obviously skipping over the entire part of his career where he was like promoting whatever town, Connecticut. <laughs> His his dad let him be the local promoter of, yes. or the Evil Knievel Snake River Canyon deal <laughs> that flopped. It's like we're just talking, you know, pretty much post national expansion. Vince, uh, so I see WrestleMania one. You could argue like maybe WrestleMania three, running a stadium was a bigger deal or wrestlemania 2 running uh, from three different locations or whatever but i don't really see those as make or break propositions the way that i do the idea of kind of in 1988 he and hogan were going to be taking time away to film no holds barred and this is kind of the first time that Maybe you need to move on and find someone who can carry a promotion who's not Hulk Hogan. And they went with Randy Savage. And 
McCoy, from a lot of different perspectives, was that a home run choice? Yeah, it it was it was great at the time. Uh, you know, Savage was a maybe not as big as Hogan, was still a draw. Still, you know, business was still good with Savage on top. It put a complete. He was a completely different type of character uh, than Savage. Now, the most interesting part of the beginnings of this is there's always been. I've never seen it confirmed by Vince himself, but at some point, Ted DiBiase was supposed to have a run, right? Like a real run. That's the legend. Yeah, they were going to have a heel champ. Yeah, um, which I could see that maybe that's even part of the gamble is. Unless they knew from day one that eventually Savage is going heel when Hogan comes back, that's is to if 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 Savage had eclipsed Hogan, would they have still gone back to Hogan regardless? Because that's what we know. Uh, we'll never know, obviously. But as it worked out, it worked out into one of the greatest stories the company's ever told. That being, you know, when when the mega mega powers exploded. But yeah, I think at the time. There, there could have been a choice to have Hogan go away and you have a big monster heel or a, you know, a conniving, sneaky heel like Ted DiBiase uh, take the belt for a year and then have Hogan return the conquering hero in 89 and win the belt back. But yeah, going with another hero, another babyface world champion instead... Yeah, I think that was that was something of a gamble because you didn't know if if fans would accept him and pay to see him in even similar numbers to how they paid uh, and and accepted Hogan. It certainly helps, as you pointed out, that Savage did not outdraw Hogan. He simply did very well, <laughs> yeah, and never never really put the gun to their head in terms of having to make a choice, and. Also, until Triple H came along, this has always been a babyface territory. <laughs> uh huh. Where heels were given short runs as transitional champions, usually, to get the title from one babyface to another because we put smiles on faces, pal. And, That's right. And the babyfaces uh, should win at the end of the day. What a novel concept. Yeah, so I don't know if they went in with the idea of, well, it's going to be DiBiase, and then they realized, well, actually, we need more than a a short term. It's going to be, you know, a longer deal, or I don't know all the machinations of that, but it is is interesting. But so far, we've got uh, Hogan, uh, choosing Hogan when going national. We got WrestleMania 1. And we got picking Savage to be the replacement for Hogan. Uh, we we got three big gambles, and we're three for three for the for the big for the old man so far. He's he's batting a thousand so far. He is on a roll. So then, 1990 comes along, and Hulkamania is getting a little wobbly, and there's steroids are becoming a hot button issue. Although that really won't completely hit the fan to like 91. <laughs> Uh, which is super, super hilarious that, you know, Vince is like, maybe maybe Vince is seeing the power of Hulkamania wane a little bit, and his idea is to go with another big muscle head. Uh, his idea to replace Hulk Hogan 
is to go with a super over energetic baby face. The ultimate warrior. And to not to do a transitional champion and not to have Hogan drop it to somebody else and then Warrior take the title from that person, but rather to have Hogan straight up do the job for the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 6. And less than a year later, Ultimate Warrior's first run as WWF champ ended. Sergeant Slaughter was champ. (laughs) And we were plotting a way to get the title back on Hogan. So the choice of going with Warrior is was certainly a gamble and the choice of saying well Hogan is 36 almost 37 years old at that point let's see yeah 36 almost 37 it's time to move on and going with Warrior and obviously then having to pivot less than a year later I think it's clear that this gamble did not pay off the way Vince thought it would Definitely not, and depending on who you ask, um, if you ask Hulk Hogan, he did everything he could to (laughs) put the Warrior over, but when that match was over, they were looking at Hulk Hogan in that, in the, you know, going back up the aisle, they weren't looking at the Warrior in the ring, Um, which, I mean, that tends to happen when the cameras, you know, almost exclusively (laughs) shoot Hulk Hogan going up the aisle instead of shooting the Warrior celebrating in the ring. (laughs) <laughs> but Warrior was obviously and uh, was a very different type of character, despite yes being a high energy muscle head baby face. He wasn't the orator that Hulk Hogan was. Um, no. no, and unlike Hulk Hogan, who had a barrage that was the system for the longest time, was you feed a bunch of big stinky giants to your to your world champion to make him a conquering hero. Uh, I mean, Warrior did work the program with Andre on his way up, but he, he when it when it was done, it's like who did Warrior have to work with? He worked Rick Rude at SummerSlam. Um who God bless Rick Rude, a a phenomenal performer, but never in WWF was he a guy who I think was on that level. Uh, was certainly not on the level of a Hogan or a Warrior. So, yeah, it felt like they didn't necessarily... Meanwhile, Hulk Hogan's wrestling the big stinky giant at that same SummerSlam. Um, Not that I'm saying Warrior versus Earthquake would (laughs) have turned the company around, uh, but... Can you imagine the matches? <laughs> they probably did wrestle in like 87 or something. Um, I'm sure there's a, a Warrior-Earthquake match, but yeah. I'm not saying it would have been... But clearly, they went with a different strategy. Hogan still had... Was still the guy conquering the big stinky giants, whereas Warrior was wrestling kind of like who was around at the time. <laughs> so it it did feel like that's almost, it's almost a precursor to future times when we saw the the Edge world title reigns, the Punk world title reigns, the Benoit world title reigns, where even though Warrior maybe was going on last, unlike some of those other champions, he he was clearly 
not being given like the top tier bad guys and just running through everybody the way Hogan had in, in the previous few years. Yeah. Also they'd done the warrior root program a year before. Like, right. Like it was not, not only was it rude, not seen by the public at that level, it also wasn't a new program. Very true. So yeah, I think, I think it was, I think I understand the idea of feeling like it's time to move on. Let's, you know, let's ease Hogan out of that spot before he's completely out of juice. But they also clearly like he hedged his, unlike maybe these other ones, we talk about WrestleMania one where it was all or nothing. I'm going out of business or this is a success. Those are the two options where it's like here. It was like, we're going to keep our, our yellow and red security blanket with us while we while we venture into this new this new foreign lands and it just seemed like it was like they were almost setting themselves up to have to go back to Hogan because of the way that they set they set it all up yeah yeah you can you can argue how much blame Hogan deserves in all of that mm. i know p- people like to criticize him for his performance at WrestleMania six, where <laughs> he kicked out at 3.01 and made the post-match all about himself. But at the end of the day, he handed the belt to the warrior. And I, I, I don't believe he's the one calling for, um, that presentation calling for the shots of him going up the aisle while the Warriors in the ring, the new champion. You know what I mean? Like, to your point, it was definitely, there was definitely a directive of we're not burying Hogan here. Right. This is not the end. That's why, yes, the Ultimate Warriors in the ring and Gorilla Monsoon is screaming about how Hulkamania will live forever. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so a lot of what we're going to talk about the rest of the way on these shows here are when it's time to go from one top guy to another top guy. So Hogan uh, loses to Hogan gets the belt back in 91, loses to Undertaker. They put the belt, they put the uh, belt up in the Royal Rumble. Flair comes in. Wins the title. I mean, to me, it's just fascinating that Vince, that like 1992 Vince McMahon decided Ric Flair would be his champion. Like, that's just, that's always going to be fascinating. Really to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, some of it's, he wasn't a big muscle guy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and they had, that's really when all the steroid stuff had hit the fan. But, man, I just don't. I don't see Vince ever getting the Ric Flair character, but anyway, so 92 was Flair and then like Flair and Savage trade the title. But Savage is pushing 40 and Rick is, I I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to describe that first WWF tenure for Rick. It's weird. Yeah. 
he comes in at the tippy top. They do the Hogan program before it's time to do the Hogan program and burn it out. <laughs> then they do Hogan and Savage. Then he's just kind of like in the mid card teaming with Kurt Hennig and then eventually feuding with Kurt Hennig. And then he's gone in like 18 months. <laughs> yeah. But January 93, he loses the, it's like on one of the, I think it's within like that first month or so of raw that he loses. That's right. The, yeah. Cause he, was, he really found that. Yeah. Cause he wasn't around for WrestleMania nine. He was already gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so very short first tenure there. But so it's not like they were ever really 92. It's not like they were ever really or late, you know, late 91 to the first part of 92. It's not like they were ever really serious about making a new guy. They were just moving on from Hogan. And so they have flair and macho trade the belts. And then they decide they need to make just one day. They wake up and decide we got to make a new guy. And they decide to make Bret Hart. <laughs> In in November 1992, and Bret Hart becomes the WWF World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion in Saskatoon on a match like nobody saw for months until like months later when it came out on a Coliseum home video or whatever. That's right. Yeah. It. Well, it's certainly it's hard to imagine the next five years of the WWF without Bret Hart. And so I guess this was a gamble that paid off. Bret would certainly agree. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think this, this paid off whether or not at the time, and certainly as we get into 93, um, whether or not Bret was in the cards for a long-term top-of-the-card push uh, seems maybe in doubt. But uh, as a gamble, as far as just like, hey, let's pick a guy and and make him in in one night or in one week or whatever. Uh, they picked a good one because he became, uh, while he was very rarely ever truly the tippy top guy uh, um, in in WWF, he was a top guy there and all you know, kind of old reliable for, for Vince, for you talk about a security blanket uh, for, for years to come after that. So yeah, that's that 92 is a very bizarre year, but it going, yeah, going from flair to savage to flair to Brett is, is pretty weird, but it's also, it was them making kind of a decision for, for a minute at least to, Hey, we need to start getting younger. We can't rely on the savages and Hogan's as much anymore. That is, of course, until the next WrestleMania. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, so the 93 comes along, and then Vince decides, well, Hogan had been gone for a year to let the heat die down, and Hogan came back, but Hogan already had one foot out the door when he came back. It's very bizarre how the Hogan's 93 WWF run went. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. He comes in as like clearly an attraction undercard last match before intermission kind of guy and then wins the title on his first night in. (laughs) (laughs) He takes the title from Brett or from Yoko who had uh, taken it from Brett. I guess with the understanding that 
you know, sometimes wrestling promoters lie. Mm. And I think Vince told Brett, yeah, Hogan's going to drop the belt to you. And Vince had not asked Hogan, hey, will you drop the belt to Brett? <laughs> Whatever, regardless. Uh, June By June 1993, Yokozuna is a <laughs> two-time World Wrestling Federation champion. <laughs> yeah, I would say that, that Hogan gamble did not... <laughs> did not pay off if you can call it a gamble um i'm not even really counting that one just because i'm not sure what it was (laughs) was the gamble that he could convince hulk to lose to brett who hogan referred to as a midget at some point (laughs) during that year i i suppose hogan's on japanese television talking about how the wwf title means nothing to him and that the iwgp heavyweight champion Chip is the only belt that means anything in pro wrestling. Well, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> it's true, as it turns out. <laughs> but uh, a rare case of... The Hulkster was vindicated in, in that case, and perhaps that case alone. You know, he always says something on camera that gets him in trouble. <laughs> so, Yoko, I think, was supposed to be a transitional guy. Only they didn't have anyone to transition to after Hogan went scorched earth and left the territory. So Yoko ended up keeping the title forever um, until it was time to make another Hulk Hogan. (laughs) And the idea was to go with Lex Luger. And they did the whole... Lex Express deal and building to this SummerSlam where it's going to be Lex Luger against Yokozuna for the title. And Vince got cold feet. Vince decided Lex is not the guy after an entire summer of building up Lex as the guy. (laughs) So ultimately... That's the one that I would call like the next gamble, and that would be deciding gambling that Lex Luger is not the guy, and ultimately we need to go back to Brett uh, a few months later. That's where I would I would I would really classify as like the next oh the the promotion hinged on making this decision. And in hindsight, mm-hmm. it's hard to argue in hindsight that he got this one wrong. In the long term, yes. Uh, going with such a full court press from the from doing the the body slam on the aircraft carrier to the the Lex Luger, uh, the Lex Express, the the bus tour, like he was yes. running for president or something. Yes. Um, I guess my my wrinkle to this: Do you think he had already made up his mind by SummerSlam that Luger wasn't the guy? Because they build to Lex and Yoko at that SummerSlam, and Lex wins by countout, and everybody like comes out and puts Lex on their shoulders, but he didn't win the belt. So that is always like, did they have this big plan that Lex was going to win the belt there, and they and everyone's going to come out and celebrate, but then at the very last second they're like, no. <laughs> We're not do- we're not doing it because we want to hold it off for Mania, or we're not doing it because Lex isn't the guy. I think that's the most interesting wrinkle to that that summer. Yeah, I think you could probably get some insight by listening to the Bruce Pritchard show 
on this on this one. I would rather it's, die. Um, it's, it's a subject that's far enough in the past that Bruce doesn't feel uh, doesn't have to be political about it, and mm. Lex is not a guy who's ever going to be on the in with WWE. Mm-hmm. So, from what from what I remember from their discussion of that, it was by SummerSlam they'd already decided Lex is not the guy. <laughs> like. I guess in the people who were had put together the Lex Express deal and driving him around the country, he was not like on all the time, say yes to every media appearance, uh, do all the make a wish stuff. He was not the guy that they wanted um, front and center in that regard, the way that Hogan had been. Yeah, and ultimately the way Brett was, right? I don't think, I mean, Brett's the, you know, Brett, yeah. I don't, whatever you want to say about Brett's time as the the top guy, I think no one can say he wasn't working hard and making appearances and making dates everywhere and, and all that. Right. Yeah. So the Luker one, mm, you could argue either way. Like, it's really dumb to build up a baby face for months and months and then pull the rug out from under him and make him look like a, you know, a cuck at the end of it, but right. That's kind of the story of Lex Luger's career, though, right? Is that promoter decides he's the guy? That's a whole separate show, I know, but like promoters decide he's the guy. They get right up to it's the wedding day, and then right. we get we get runaway bride syndrome, and Lex somehow doesn't end up the top guy. Yeah, he was he was he made a career on potential. Yeah. An entire career on a look and potential. All right, last one we want to get into here is after they decide Lex is not the guy, and they go back to Brett as kind of a stopgap. Because at that point, you know, business is business is bad all the way around, and Brett isn't really drawing. But at least you know you can put him on top, and the thing's not going to completely crater. Right. So they they go back to Brett in '94. And then Vince, with business not doing well, decides he needs a big guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they transition the title from Brett to Bob Backlund? <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. And, and in the, this, I mean, this is classic McMahon family pre Triple H booking. Like, Get it off the baby face we want to get rid of, and we'll put it on a transitional heel champ. And then Diesel comes in and beats Bob Backlund in 11 seconds or 8 seconds or whatever the deal was. And we're off to the races with Kevin Nash, Diesel, as the WWF champion. And it's hard to argue that this was a successful gamble in kicking Brett to the curb. And going with Diesel. Yeah, so as always, we like to mention uh, Kevin Nash is the show's collectively, collectively is the show's favorite wrestler. Um, Diesel, however, um, sucked. (laughs) It wasn't good. It wasn't authentic. And if you ask, if you ask Kevin Nash, they took away all of the stuff that made him cool. And made him and tried to make him a more generic white meat baby face. 
my personal opinion is while Kevin Nash has many strengths in professional wrestling, uh, top babyface is not one of them. And uh, to be fair, if you want to look at it, if you want to be sympathetic to Kevin, you can go, well, unlike when they were doing the transition from Hogan to Warrior, Diesel didn't get Diesel never beat Brett. Diesel right. beat Backland at who Backland had in turn beaten Brett via interference from Owen. And then he re- rematched with Brett at the Rumble and they do a big schmoz DQ. And then Diesel wrestles Mabel all summer. <laughs> uh, so they didn't exactly give him again, not a not a wealth of opponents, although again in that era, they also didn't have a strong wealth of opponents for a babyface world champion to run through, but they did not have the one top guy who you could argue would have helped Diesel in that spot by beating him would be Brett and they made the decision to keep them apart until they were pretty sure the Diesel thing wasn't working out, in which case it was time for Brett to beat Diesel. Right. And that's ultimately what they did. Kevin Nash, he's big. He's got a full head of hair. Mm-hmm. Let's put the title on him. <laughs> looks good. In, looks good in shades. <laughs> Diesel, I don't understand Diesel. So is he a guy who drives... This is kind of like the tugboat thing. Is he a guy who drives a truck, or is he a truck? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a really good question. I think he is a truck. Okay. Okay. I think that's the deal. All right. So this is just some of the... I don't know. It's a half like trip down memory lane. Remember this? It's yeah. a half uh, actual... Uh, analysis of some of the bigger gambles in Vince McMahon's career, but this is the first half. Second half, oh boy, we get to cover all kinds of fun things. The entire Attitude Era, the WWE Network Era, and then even the last couple of years here. Maybe maybe the last two big gambles of Vince McMahon's career. We'll cover all of those on the next edition of this uh, of this program. So, Until next time, I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. And we'll be back soon with more stories from the wrestling life. Bye-bye. listening don't forget to leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts now here are this week's bonus features merry christmas i've been waiting for you you know christmas is always my favorite time of year And I'm glad you're here in my living room to enjoy it. Mrs. Claus must have made the cocoa this year. (laughs) Now, at Christmas time, we all have our favorite things, but mine is singing Christmas carols. 
my favorite Christmas because I'm a embarrassed, but it's the the twelve days of Christmas. But I I have something special for you because not only are we all going to do it together, I have the number one fan in the world of the Roddy Piper President Club. His name is Craig. Craig, come on in here. Hi, Craig. Hi Mr. Rowdy. Piper, Mr. Piper. Roddy, Roddy. Yeah, Roddy. You look great. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for coming. Say hello. Hi. Night, night. So what we're going to do is, is Grandma up? Okay, cool. Now, we're going to sing the 12 days of Christmas. Okay? So are you going to start us out? Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, just one more time. You did that twice in a row. That was good. Okay. <clears throat> On the first day of Christmas, Roddy Piper gave to me <laughs> a sleeper hole just for you. Got eleven more of these. <laughs> On the second day of Christmas, Roddy Piper gave to me. And a sleeper hold for you. Get up. You know, you know, maybe we should just go to the end because Christmas will be gone by the time we get through the song and it's so much fun, okay? So get Granny up and, and, and let here we go. We'll just start at 12. On the 12th day of Christmas, Roddy Piper gave to me 12 headlocks, 11 kidney shots, 10 headbutts, just relax, 9 elbow smashes, Eight uppercuts, seven low blows, six close lines, five bag pipes, four eye pokes, three chair shots. And a sleeper hold just for you. Merry Christmas. May all your dreams come true. Oh,